Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are studying Matthew chapter 18, and if you're just joining us, we are so glad you're here. We are doing an introduction to the gospel series where we're going through the book of Matthew and explaining some of the history and the culture and the background information to really help you understand what it is saying. And if you'd like to dive a little bit deeper every day, the link is in the show notes, but there are journaling prompts that go along with each episode to get that information from your head and into your heart. And then I also do a kids episode that explains the content in an easy way for kids to understand. And then we have family discussion guides for you to grow together spiritually as an entire family. So again, those are just some additional resources to help you. So I'm reading from the NIV today, starting at verse one of Matthew chapter 18. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine in the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish." If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather my name, there am I with them. 
So I'm stopping here for today. We'll pick up the rest of chapter 18 tomorrow. And there's a couple things in here that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks as we've been studying the book of Matthew. And so I'm not going to go over everything. There's just a couple of things I do want to point out that I think are particularly helpful as we're seeking to understand this passage. The first is starting in verse three. It says, and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So those words that he says, unless you change, I think that is something that sometimes we want to skip over. We want to skip over thinking, okay, well, I just want Jesus to accept me for who I am. And we forget about that changing part. But we have to remember that the changes that Jesus wants to see in us are changes that he makes in our lives initially through salvation. So when we come to faith in Christ, our lives after meeting Jesus are going to look different than before meeting Jesus. But then there's this ongoing change, which is the work of the Holy Spirit as we develop, as we mature spiritually, and we develop with a childlike attitude. Now, I did not say being childish. I said childlike. Well, what's the difference? Well, in order for Christ to transform us from the inside out, to transform our character, our attitude towards him has to be like a child. And what's that mean? Well, if you think about this in the sense of how young children respond to, say, their parent, there's a sense of being humble and honest and open and dependent and trusting and being ready to be discipled. And so that first step of submitting to God is this childlike step where we are trusting God as our good father. And then, of course, there's our conversion and then this life change that happens in us. And so what Jesus requires of us in that moment is that first, initially, we turn away from everything that is selfish and ungodly and sinful, and we leave behind that lifestyle of sin, and we start being intentional by turning our heart and our mind towards God. And so that means that we do what is right by his standard, and that's according to his word, which eventually produces spiritual fruit in us. And that is revealed through our character and our actions. That's the evidence of this true repentant heart. We start acting in accordance with God's word. Now, is that easy? No. Do we mess up all the time? Even Christians that have been Christians 50 years are still going to mess up. But the goal here is to come back to Christ with this repentant heart and say, look, I get it. I messed up. I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. And so our conversion, which is essentially us becoming a Christian, it's not one single act. That one moment we make that one single decision. And yes, that's where it starts. But it's not this one issue of regret or sorrow over something we've done. And instead, what it is, it's an ongoing consuming attitude towards God, this relationship with God, towards this life that is resistant to sin and putting away our own selfishness, because our goal is to seek after God and his plan for our lives. See, our default position, what we tend to do is to land on this path that leads us away from God. It leads us towards death. But in opposition to that, there's a life that surrenders to God as we are intentional and we pursue God. It does take some intention on our part. So it's not like we accept Christ and then just automatically the rest of our lives is easy. No, it takes intentionally seeking after this relationship with God. You know, think about this in terms of our human relationships. If I met my husband, and even if I got married on the day that I met my husband, and then I never spoke to him again, would I have a relationship with him? Well, no, I have to be intentional about that. I have to be intentional about speaking to him and listening to him and spending time with him. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. 
And so when he's talking about change, that kind of change, it may feel really difficult. But I think that's the point that a lot of us miss. We're not changing based on our own strength. It is a gift to us. And that is a gift that is only available because of God's grace. Now, what is grace? Well, that's the undeserved love and favor and kindness and help from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we receive through faith when we come to Jesus. That's how we're able to do it through this relationship with God. Once we have this new relationship with God, what we will see is there are changes in other areas of our lives. Those are a byproduct of our relationship with God. That means sometimes after we come to faith in Christ or after we are growing spiritually, there will be a change in our relationships or our friendships. Our priorities change. Our habits change. Our commitments change. Maybe our interests change. The way we view life in general changes because we're now looking through the lens of Jesus. So our conversion, when we come to life in Christ and we complete this transformation of surrendering our hearts to God, there's this evidence of genuine salvation that happens and it is necessary for this ongoing growth in our lives to happen spiritually. I want to jump down to verse six. It's talking about the millstone around the neck and it's not talking about the little personal millstones. It's talking about those giant big millstones that you would see that were used for the community. And what this verse is talking about is it's a warning to people who might have influence over others to sin, especially new believers or children. And there's a couple of things that we as believers need to be very careful about. If people are looking at us as a godly example, we need to take that responsibility very seriously. You know, there's this old saying that you probably have heard about how sometimes you might be the only Bible people ever read. That really is true. When you declare that you are a follower of Christ, you will have scrutiny. People will be looking at you. And so that means that our behavior, our very behavior, the words we say, the things we do, it is a witness that we are responsible for. And we need to take that seriously. And it's one thing to sin yourself. But to cause others to fall away from God, Scripture says that's an even greater offense, and you will incur the wrath of God. And and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but wrath is essentially the anger and a punishment from God that is justified. We have to recognize that as believers, we have a responsibility to be an example to those around us. And I think initially, you may be thinking that this is essentially a warning for pastors or those that are in spiritual leadership, but I would take it one step further. I would argue that parents need to pay attention here. Parents need to pay very careful attention to the words of Jesus and what he's saying here. It's talking about the responsibility of parents to instruct their children about who God is, about what his word says, and also to protect their children from the influence of the world and the enemy. So how do we do that? Well, it's things like guiding them through their friendships or their relationships or making sure that their friends are not going to negatively impact them or guarding their hearts and their minds with things like TV and social media and video games and even fiction books. It means guiding what you allow into your home and what your children are exposed to. Now, this is much, much easier when your children are younger, but as your children become teenagers, a lot of parents simply give up in this area. And I would argue that you need to be more intentional at that age. When your kids are teenagers, it is so difficult because the enemy is after them so hard. Is it difficult? Absolutely. And, you know, God never said it would be easy. The whole fact that it's difficult means that that is evidence of why it's necessary. And so I want to make sure that we're very clear on what he's saying here. You as a parent have the responsibility to guard the heart and mind of your children. 
And then verse 15. I just want to spend a couple of moments talking about this. This is this idea of church discipline. And we see this introduced here. We, we learn about it elsewhere in the Gospels too. But what Jesus is doing is he's giving this proper way of dealing with sin in the church. And there's a method that he gives for confronting and correcting and disciplining. And then, of course, restoring someone, not somebody that's not a believer, but somebody that's a professing Christian. Because as we live within the community of the church, we're doing life together. And there's a violation of God's standard on conduct when somebody in the church is sinning against one another. And so initially, this conversation should be done privately, but neglecting to deal with it or these kinds of things isn't going to eventually compromise the spiritual integrity of the church, and it can destroy the effectiveness of a church. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And we've talked about this in the past quite a bit, where the enemy will specifically plant some people to bring about situations in churches to keep them from being effective. And I think so much of what we have seen lately in the last couple of years with different churches falling apart or different spiritual leaders, famous guys falling, it's rooted in this issue right here because it's being ignored. And the idea of church discipline and accountability and holding each other to the standard that God does Jesus clearly calls us to accountability. And because there's so little accountability in many churches today, we're seeing the evidence of that when they fall apart. And so the purpose of church discipline is, of course, to protect and to uphold God's reputation, but it's also to guard this moral purity and the integrity of the church and the people in the church. Because the goal, of course, is restoration. We want people restored to Christ. And so what's that look like within the church setting? Well, there's a couple things that we need to keep in mind. And it's very easy. It's very specifically laid out for us in scripture. First, it should be a private conversation between the person and the person that was offended or the person observed the behavior. And sometimes that's all it takes. And the person, you know, says, you know what? You're right. I messed up. I knew I fell into sin. Thank you for the accountability. And they can work out an accountability plan. And that's all that's needed. Sometimes, however, that person is not receptive and they refuse to acknowledge their behavior or change their behavior by that that first confrontation with that first individual. And so then you would have a couple people go. Maybe that is a family member, or maybe that is an elder in the church, or maybe that is somebody else that is in close relationship with them, like a small group leader, and try to have a discussion where it's more than just one-on-one, but it's two people sharing from speaking the truth of love, from this place of love, talking to this individual. Now, again, if this individual repents and, and recognizes their need for accountability, then that's one thing. If they continue to resist or continue to refuse or acknowledge what they're doing, then it needs to go before the larger church community. And so at that point, I would be involving the pastor or the elders. And essentially, this is the part where I think a lot of churches miss the mark. They might be good about dealing with these one-on-one conversations, but if it doesn't get resolved, they just drop it. I think that is the difficult part where we need to say, okay, this needs to be dealt with. And I think a lot of churches that have been brought down in recent years is because they get this part wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that you treat these people terribly or cruelly. If they're not receptive, that is between them and God. But that doesn't mean you keep them within the church community. It doesn't mean that they still have a voice within the church community, because ultimately, if they are living in sin, they know they're living in sin and they are speaking from a, a heart that is entrenched in sin. 
that's only going to cause division within the church. And what does scripture say? Well, if you treat them like the pagans, that means they're no longer within this close-knit church community. You have to draw a boundary. And I think boundaries are one of those things that are so hard for people. But what happens if we don't? What happens if we don't is the enemy has now gotten a foothold. And, and you know, beyond just a lifestyle of personal sin, I think what we often see is this happening with leaders, with leadership within the church structure that are not held accountable. And then guess what? They are now sometimes treating the pulpit like a platform instead of a pulpit. And it's no longer look at God, it's look at me. And I think that's when we see some of these big guys in the, in more recent years, you say, how could that have happened? Well, this is how it happens because they're not being held accountable. So whether this is a church leadership situation or this is a church member situation, I think we need to take it seriously that Jesus wants accountability within the body of Christ. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread verses 1 through 20 of Matthew chapter 18. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owes a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine of the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I truly tell you he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. God, we thank you for the way that you reveal your heart to us within your word. God, I, I thank you for this change that you desire to produce in us, God, that when we're talking about salvation and true repentance, God, and what that means. Help us to recognize that it's about this relationship with you. It's not about the words we say. It's not about that one-time decision. It's about a heart that is surrendered to you, God, and what you can do in and through a surrendered heart. God, help us to come to you daily as we lay down our own selfish desires and commit to coming to you and being conformed according to what you want for us, God. And help us to be receptive to accountability when we fall short, when we miss the mark, God, help us to seek out accountability because we know that iron sharpens iron and it's through that process that we become refined and more and more like you. God, we thank you for the way that you put other people in our lives. God, 
even right now, help us to have somebody in the forefront of our mind that we could go to for accountability in those moments that we've messed up. God, we thank you that you are a God of grace and that we are not doing this on our own, but it is through this gift of grace that you refine our hearts. We thank you and praise you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.